Greetings and welcome, Chief Yuya here. And I want to send a welcome to new time listeners, age old listeners, and those who come in and out. When you cannot love yourself is the concept that we're going to explore today together as a team. You know, we're, we're working through all these concepts and all these different segments that we've been covering. And, uh, it's not a singular process, though it may seem like I'm the one, you know, teaching them. And of course that is true, but, um, there are things that I'm sure that you're uncovering at the same time and, and exploring. And, you know, so it's really a team effort, right? So our last session, we dealt with the wasteland and really how we can start to look at developing a level of discipline and awareness and focus as well as productivity as it pertains to achieving our goals. We dealt with seeking wisdom in the session before that. And then prior to that, we were looking at some of the foundations of, of African thought. So in this session, dealing with um, loving yourself, it's a critical thing because in order to apply some of those other ones that we're looking at, we first have to see ourselves worthy enough to actually put that level of work in. And I also wanted to address this concept because oftentimes I hear people who will say things like, um, you know, say if someone is getting out of a relationship or looking to be with someone, or even when a relationship doesn't perform in the way that they hoped it would, they'll say things like, well, first you have to love yourself. And um, it's really a punishing sort of statement. It's a, it can be a very self-righteous sort of statement and, and a very easy retort for someone, you know, cause sometimes we get to a point where we society just tells us all the cliche things to say, but I often like to ask people what love is. You know, we throw that word around like it's important because society has told us it's important. Words like love, words like God, we're told, or the devil, numbers like 666. We're, we're told by society that they're important and we don't really put any, some of us don't really put any level of research into what exactly is it that I'm saying or what exactly is it that I have now bowed down to? What concept is of, is that I'm, I'm really afraid of or whatever? Why is love so important? Why is that word stress? Especially if I don't even know what it is. Or if someone asks me what it is and then I, I start, um, well, to me, to what, you know, and all that really does is just confirm that I don't know what the word means. You know, if I'm asked something, you know, or if I'm using a term and someone says, well, what does it mean? What are you saying? Can you explain it? Can you go deeper? And I start winging it. I start making up things. I start throwing words out there that I think have a certain effect like the word love, then um, I have to ask myself, am I a slave to society's inklings? Am I a slave to miseducation and misinformation? And of course, many are, you know? So it's a cliche thing, like I said, you, you hear often when someone is going through something, um, you have to love yourself first. You can't love anyone if you don't love yourself. If you don't first feed into your own well, how can you feed anyone else? And these are just cliche statements often that are made by pseudo love guru gurus, dating coaches, or quote unquote 
relationship experts, but there's really no true substance behind them. Um, and it, like I said, it can be a very cruel thing to say to someone because how do I love myself? Right. And in most instances, that translates into self pampering. You know, when someone says, well, I love myself or I'm going to love myself. So that means now I'm going to go get a massage. That means now I'm going to get a pedicure. You know, that means that I'm going to take a mental health day off from work and I'm going to just lay on the beach and I'm not going to do anything. And um, we'll classify that as self-love, right? So now if I'm loving myself in that way and I'm pampering and caring for myself in that way, then now that creates a certain precedence for anyone who would want to interact with me going forward. Because now I loved myself and you have to do the same thing for me that I've been able to do for myself. But the reality is that the the concept of self-love is a bit more, well, (laughs) it's a lot more complex than that. You know, it's a bit more elusive, you know, and it requires more introspection. It requires more deep thought than just doing for ourselves. You know, loving ourselves, although love sometimes can be translated into an action, but self-love is not a self-doing per se, you know, or doing something for myself that someone else could do, but I'm just going to do it to show that, to show myself that I'm willing to do it for myself. Self-love is directly connected to peace. And peace is when you're finding your identity in the midst of the chaos of even all creation. You're finding the identity of your order and the identity within your connection to the cosmos, right? So that's when we find that particular ID, uh, identity, when we find that particular place, we're able to now sit contently and comfortably within the, the multiple layers of our existence, of our personal existence, of our personal beings. You know, as individuals, we're multi-layered and there's depths. No matter how simple we may think we are, often the simpler we think we are, uh, the deeper our own self goes, you know, and we put on this mask or this idea of simplicity in order not to travel down to where the deeper parts of, of who and what we are. So a lot of times in just the doing of self-love that we're often advised to do, oh, why don't you take yourself out to dinner? Why don't you take yourself to a movie? Why don't you take yourself on a trip? You know, you got to love yourself. Those provide temporary respite from um some of the things that we may be doing, you know, and it's a temporary way that we will nurture ourselves, but there's there's really no attainment of a deeper sort of inner peace that, and that requires a, um, a cultivation and, and most importantly, not just a nurturing and, um, a relaxation towards what we want to do or, you know, I'm going to nurture myself. I'm going to go get a good meal or I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to pay a little bit of extra and buy some organic fruit, you know, instead of some, some GMO fruit. Because I love myself, you know, those, those are not bad things, obviously, but, um, in order to truly experience or to explore self love, there has to be an internal nurturing and there has to be an internal warmth 
that that's shown within ourselves. See, that's the key. When we start to develop um, uh, a posturing of warmth and we develop a posturing of, of nurturing internally and most importantly towards our internal um, experiences and internal going ons, you know, externally in the world, we all people, we have different experiences and different things that we go through. And more often than not, those experiences are a result of internal experiences. You know, we may have some internal tur- turmoil or some internal chaos that we're suffering from. And then that internal turmoil and chaos then translates itself into our outer world. We start to experience chaos and turmoil. So that means that what we are experiencing or that there's an experience that's happening for us out in the world and our bodies, you know, if you will. And then there's a, there's a f- experience that's happening in our innerverse inside of our bodies. There's an outer experience and then there's a, there's an, there's an inner experience. Okay. So the way we approach our inner experience is how we love ourselves. It's the approach to our inner experiences. You know, as it's often said, the majority of what life is, is how we react to it. You know, um, you could say 20% of life is showing up and being and 80% is how you react to the things that happen in life. Right. But sometimes we may have what seems to be an icy or a cool or a calm external or outer reaction, but internally we're falling to pieces or internally there's a lot of um, chastisement. Our our inner dialogue or our self-talk can might be very cold. You know, it might be very um, destructive towards what we need to be. And we have this internal attitude and, and sort of a mindless and careless and heedlessness sort of approach to how we deal with ourselves, as opposed to developing an attitude internally that's kind. That's the first thing. Self-love begins with an internal kind attitude and being mindful about what we're experiencing inside. You see, and that's something that has to be cultivated. And it's, you know, it just doesn't pop up because someone says, Hey, stand here and tell yourself that you love yourself. Look in this mirror and say, you love yourself or go on this trip, go on this cruise and should, you know, now you'll love yourself. It, it doesn't happen necessarily through immediate doing an immediate action in that way. But instead it, it occurs through a cultivation of how we sit with and how we, we, um, we don't chastise ourselves. We don't judge ourselves immediately based on what we have experienced inter- internally. And that sense of, um, empathy that we begin to develop inside and that sense of, of positive regard unconditionally, no matter what's happening, no matter what we're feeling, you know, no matter what we're kind of working through, when we can have a positive regard about what we're experiencing, now we're opening up the doors to self-love, you know? And like I said, it begins with the, with the kindness and that kindness and that gentleness, a lot of times we can show it towards others. You know, sometimes it's, it's easier to show it outwardly, but inwardly we're still beating ourselves down. 
you know, inwardly, we may still have these voices of rebukement and voices of chastisement and, and voices of guilt that, and they leave a toxicity. You think about it in the internal sense, external sense, excuse me. You know, if you grow up in a home where you're constantly being chastised, you're constantly being rebuked, you're constantly being unfairly judged, even as an adult, you'll have a, res- uh, uh, a residual feeling of shame. And it's not, you know, shame is not a bad thing. Shame is a good thing. In fact, we live in a society right now that's devoid of shame. And that's a problem. People are shamed out of shame, you know, but there is a toxic shame and there's a healthy shame, you see. And when we are experience, uh, experiencing toxic forms of shame, you know, we're not really able to properly reflect and sit with the things that we're feeling inside. You know, we're not really able to honor those feelings, whether those feelings are anger or hurt or pain, happiness, lust, greed, whatever it is, they all have to, and, and, and honoring is acknowledging. And honoring doesn't necessarily mean that we're holding them in high esteem, but when we're harsh with ourselves internally and we're unfriendly with ourselves internally, we're unkind with our, with ourselves internally, then we, we express those same feelings towards whatever feelings that may come up inside of us. You know, so as those feelings come up inside of us, we approach them with that same level of toxicity, you know, and we'll even shame ourselves out of um, very natural responses, you know, recognizing that it's perfectly natural. It's perfectly fine sometimes to be sad. You see, it's perfectly fine sometimes to be afraid of things at time, to be scared of things at time, at times, to be hurt by things at times. This, the pain that we're feeling is a natural thing, you see. And when we develop the ability to become mindful of those feelings inside of us and allow them their own space to roam, we allow them their own freedom to roam internally within within us, then now we have experienced what is called strength. You see, strength is not just suppressing everything. Yeah, this happened and that happened, but you know what? I got to soldier on. You know what? I got to do what I got to do, or I got to put on a happy face. That's just what I do. You know, I got to be strong for everybody else. That's not being strong. In fact, that's being weak. Because you're trying to, you're, you're ducking and dodging. You're trying to avoid the fight. You see, you're ducking and dodging. It's like if someone's in your face, I'm sure many of us may have experienced this before. I know I have. And they're going off on you. They're saying things that are even untrue. And they may even be doing it in front of other people. And you decide to let them have their space and refrain from saying anything. Let them kind of just talk themselves out. Doesn't mean that you're ignoring them or you're blocking them out. You're listening, but you're letting them talk themselves out. And you, you might have somebody who may say something like to you, Hey man, you, you stronger person than me because I couldn't do it. You see? So we understand that that's strength. You know, so if the same thing happens inside of us, when we're able to be mindful of what we're feeling 
and we allow a safe space for those feelings inside of us, even no matter how difficult or how clumsy or how thorny those feelings may be. But when we're, when we're able to, to ask ourselves, can I sit with this right now? You know, whatever the feeling is, let's say you, you know, we all have different things we go through. It could be guilt. It could be pain. It could be regret. And we, we ask, can I, can I sit with this regret for a moment? And can I sit with it in a caring way? You know, almost like, can I nurse it? Can I have good bedside manners? You know, and sometimes we might have to say, you know what? Can I distance myself or create some space between myself and this feeling for a moment? Because right now it's overwhelming. And because it's overwhelming, it may cause me to make some decisions that I know I'm going to re- to regret. You see, now all of this requires a level of kindness towards the actual feeling. That's the only way that you're able to create space around it. You know, you think about when you're trying to console someone who's going through something and you choose gentleness or you choose kindness, you don't bombard them with your thoughts. You don't bombard them with their, with your feelings. If they're crying and they're going through something, you, you speak to them and you're talking to them. But as you're speaking and talking to them, you're also listening and feeling to see exactly where you can reach your hand in and where you shouldn't. Now, some people who are very cold and uncaring, they'll take a complete hands off approach. Somebody could be crying and reaching out and be in pain and they'll just sit there in silence. Say, oh, well, I was listening to you. I was just letting you have an opportunity to express yourself. You know, well, I could just express myself to a cloud if that's, if that's the case. If I, if I wanted to have a non-human response, but then you have others who will bombard the space because they're, they're so harsh. You see, and they're so unkind. You know, someone could express hurt or pain about something and the person, well, why didn't you tell me before? You should have been said something, you know. And they'll start crowding them instead of allowing them to be, you know, this person is expressing hurt, guilt, pain, whatever, you know, you, you fill in the blank, whatever you want. And I'm going to allow myself to be with them in this moment, to be with this, with this emotion, you know, and be friendly with the expression and them. So it's the same thing that happens inside. If you can personify that emotion, if you can personify it and, and give it a personality, let's say you're feeling pain, and can you say, okay, here's pain. Pain is back again. All right. Can I be kind towards pain? Can I greet pain as if it is a person? You see, even though it's internal, you know, can I picture myself actually having a dialogue with, with pain and maintaining some level of, um, of vulnerability on both sides? Just like you would be vulnerable to someone who's in pain or if a child comes to you crying, if you're, if you're responsible in your response, you don't just bombard them. What's, what are you crying for? You know, you recognize, okay, maybe, child is on the, is on the sofa crying is on the ground crying i'm going to go sit down next to the, to the child on the ground sometimes we do things like that or i'm going to get down on one knee so that way i'm the same height 
as this child, you know, depending on obviously the age and your height, so that they can recognize that I'm with them. You see, it could might be something as just as simple as putting your hand on their shoulder. I'm with you. You see? So when you're having those same levels of pain inside of you or hurt or regret and someone says, you got to love yourself. You don't know. What does that mean? I got to love myself. You mean like you're telling me I don't like myself? It, it, it really entails you developing and cultivating a kindness towards being with yourself yourself and if you can develop a kindness towards being with yourself in a gentle way with being with your your feelings as opposed to trying to fix and change and fight them you know then what happens is you begin to now dissolve the the toxic shame because shame can't live in the same space as gentleness it cannot occupy the same space so when you're gentle with yourself Toxic shame then begins to to eradicate itself. You see, because what's happening in that moment, you're finding identity. And when you're finding identity, in particular inner ID, inner identity, you're finding inner peace. You see, you're allowing this, your your inner experience to unfold in a safe place. It's just like if a child is going through something and you say, What happened? And they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel safe. They'll clam up. They'll go silent. They may cry more. They may stare down at the ground. You know, they may look away. They may even lie. If they do, I'm fine. But when they feel safe, now they unfold the fullness. It may be more tears. They may unfold the fullness of what it is, or they may stop talking. They may, well, this is it. And then they're just crying, but you're holding them. And let them know it's okay. You you can unfold the full experience of what this feeling is right now. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to, you know, make you feel bad about it. I'm not going to make you feel guilty about it. I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to speak with you. You see, that's love. That's love. So how do I turn that inwards? You see. And sometimes we may say, well, I don't want to sit with it. And that's, that's a certain kind of response, right? That's a certain kind of response, not necessarily a mature one or an evolved one, but it, it nonetheless, it is a response. You might say, well, I don't, I don't want to sit with my pain. And, and why would I want to entertain that? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to push that pain deeper down or I'm going to push it out. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go for, a five mile run and just get it away from me. And, and essentially what happens is we don't realize is that when you have certain feeling and feelings and, and, and pain that you push away, they come back more ferocious. That's the nature. That's the energetic, um, nature and signs of a pain, right? So if I'm feeling despair or I'm feeling fear, or I'm feeling regret or hurt or shame or embarrassment and I push it away from myself, what happens is that that feeling will return as something that's destructive to me. Oftentimes, drug use, sexual addiction, pornography addiction, alcoholism, you know, there's so many different ways, but it comes back like a tsunami when you try to push it away. 
You see, because what's happening is that you're trying to, what, what happens is that it comes back in a way where now you're trying to find ways to numb yourself or to transfer that pain through something else. Oftentimes you start blaming everybody around you. You see, when you suppress a feeling, I did something wrong, man. I feel bad about it. I feel guilty. All right, let me suppress it. So the way I can do that is um, when it comes back again and the feeling comes up again, but somebody reminds me, lets me know, hey, I, I see this inside of you. I'll start transferring it. Oh, well, you know, my my mother, it's my mother's fault. My father is my father's fault. It's my ex, my ex's fault. It's my children, my, my children's fault. It's my auntie. It's my brother. It's my sister. It's your fault. <laughs> you see, we start to, we start to transfer that rage or transfer that, that feeling. And that's just another way of, of numbing. And that can become addictive. Where every time something happens, every time we're called out, we start to look for someone who we can now transfer to. And sometimes what we're saying makes zero sense. And if we're reminded that it makes zero sense, we might transfer to the person who reminds me. Oh, see, you know, you know what? You sound just like my mother. You sound just like my father. What I'm feeling is valid. How are you going to disinvalidate my family? You know, we start playing those, those narcissistic games, you know, and the, the reality is when you're loving yourself, it requires you to experience what those feelings are just as they are. You know, like when we say, I love you unconditionally, just as you are. Can you say that to a feeling? Can you say that to an unpleasant um, experience as opposed to trying to push them all away? See, that's a, an unevolved, unevolved sort of mindset. I'm going to attach myself to all the pleasantries of life. And I'm going to sweep away and push away and kick away all of the unpleasant experiences in life, you see. And, you know, I'm, go I'm going to um, cover this in, in future segments. I'm going to sp speak about the four noble truths of uh, Buddhism, you know, but what we're, we're, what we consider, I should say, to be um, the first truth, especially when you're looking at Shakyamuni um, Buddhism, we will look at, at Dukkha, you know, and I'm not going to translate it into English because the truth is there really is no translation, even though people will say, oh, Dukkha is suffering, but it's not really suffering, you know, so it's best just to leave it alone. Just leave the word for what it is, but we can look at all the things that are associated with it. But essentially, it's the, it's the unpleasantness or the uncomfortability that comes through comes from your attachments, you see. And our biggest attachment that we have that causes the most suffering and pain in our, in our experience is our attachments to the self. And our attachments to the self, that's where all of your delusion in life begins. That's, that's the first place. It's not your mother and your father and your religion and your church and your, your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend. It's not that. It's, it's the attachment that you have to yourself be, that which begins your delusion. So what happens is that once you become attached to yourself, you begin to, you immediately want to protect the self. So you start to create these cravings around all these things that will protect self. 
that will keep the self from dying because you you're thinking the thing that's um impermanent and temporary is permanent per- permanent and it's even independent so you start to see the self as being permanent and the self as being independent you see you start to condition yourself into that way of thinking and it creates this sickness and it's a sickness that comes from the the yearning that you have for attachment you see and those things that that yearning you know it it becomes fuel for what we call in in buddhism the 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 three fires which would be um greed um delusions and hatred right and those are those are sort of poisons if you will uh that a person will will take on because it it causes them now to be attached to the cycles of birth and death, birth and death, birth and death. Like I've shared before, and this goes, you know, to we're coming from the psychology more into the spirituality, but psychology is a re is, is a religion, you know, but what happens is that you get stuck in these cycles of, you know, constantly ancestor realm, human, you know, uh, human realm, human realm, ancestor realm, human realm, and we think that there's some sort of, of honor being stuck into, in that world, you know, or what we call samsara, you know, being stuck inside of, of that cycle and not realizing that that rebirth cycle is a product of the, the addictions that we have to our attachments. And when we get to a point where we can free ourselves from the attachments, from being stuck to this delusion of self, we experience what's called nirvana. Some of you may have, have heard that, that place, which is a level or, or that, that, that state of being. It's a level of enlightenment that comes from us being able to release our desires and release our attachments and release our delusions so we can actually finally heal from the sicknesses that all those things, um, create. So when we have this, this deep belief in the illusion of self, we think it's our body that makes us permanent. It's our body that makes us independent and, and unattached. And the reality is that belief is what attaches you. So the belief that you're independent and unattached and permanent is what actually causes you to be attached to everything. And then it starts to create these karmic cycles that keeps you locked into the cycle of rebirth, you know, or locked you locked locked inside of what we call samsara you see so it's really important when you begin to look at um the reality of what suffering is it's going to come you know it's it's even when you look at the word dukkha again without without translating you know do means to to be difficult you know or even in some instances um to suffer something that is bad, but more importantly, something that's not quite right, something that's off is due. And then ka um, represents uh, the hole that you have in like a will or to, or something that is empty. So that's actually sort of like a, uh, um, a reference to like a, a potter's will, you know? So it's like, there's a potter's will. If you look at the word together and it's not, a will that's not exactly working properly. It's not exactly spinning the way 
that it's supposed to. So the, just translating it into suffering is, you know, you're kind of missing the point. But, um, you know, when you're given that English, English sort of, um, translation, but if you, ref- if you understand that it refers to distress, to despair, to, you know, un, unsacti- un, unsatisfactory sort of, um, feelings that arise in us and, and things not being as they should be as a result of ego, right? So the self is the ego. So when we have those attachments or we have that, that ego that's telling us that, um, let's attach ourselves so that we can be happy. You know, my, my, my love will now come as a result of what I am attached to. You see, and then that fuels those poisons that I spoke about earlier, you know, and we never really experience love. We never really experience happiness because we haven't reached our true state of nirvana, which is beyond those attachments, you see. So we never get to to explore what liberation truly is because we're stuck with with the poisons of greed and, and ignorance and, and hatred. And we and we, we can't get back to what we would call our natural state, you see. So this concept of loving yourself, it has such deeper implications than just, oh, go take a, a go get a nice bath and put some oil in there and light some candles and play some music, you know, and just just enjoy yourself and just relax. That's cool. You know, temporarily, that's cool. But um in order to really deal with this, um, we have to go, like I said, deeper into the layers because the more we avoid that, the more suffering we actually create for ourselves because of the fact that we're trying to attach ourselves to everything that's pleasant. We're trying to remove, and, and that's just not what life is. Being born into this life is unpleasant. Someone's in pain. Transitioning out can be painful. You see, everything we do, has some level of struggle and pain attached to it. Even getting up from a chair and walking to the bathroom. There's a level of, of fatigue that we're inflicting upon ourselves. You see? So a lot of times when we have that toxic shame that's, that's alive and inside of us, there's this, this fear that keeps us from experiencing what we have inside. It's a fear that we're not protecting the, the, the illusionary or the delusionary self, you see. So we feel like if we show someone our anxiety or if we confess that we're feeling hurt in the moment or we're feeling sad in the moment that um we're weak, you know, or there's a there's a fear that people may judge us. And that's because we haven't sat with the honesty of ourselves first. And as a result, when you don't sit with the honesty of your own self first, even the honesty of a word, like if I say something like, again, what is love? What is God? What is a woman? What is a man? And you're, um, well, to me, uh, you've never sat with those words. I know with the, I don't even really have to ask the questions and know that because people who sat with them, you can tell. You know who sat with him. You know, it's, it's, it's like being an addict. An addict knows another addict. 
by certain things they may say, certain things they may share, they can pick up on, mm, yeah, this person, this person has been out there. You know, because there's a subculture and there's a certain energy that a person who has gone through that, that challenge, especially if they've gotten themselves clean, there's a certain energy that they move with that, that can't be faked, right? When you're inside of that world, no matter what the addiction, whether it, it could be heroin, heroin, it could be cocaine, it, it could be porn, gambling, you know, um, there's a certain energy that people give off. So, you know, the same thing comes when it comes to knowing things. So sometimes I ask questions, but I, I know, already know the answer, but I don't want to stuff the answer down someone's throat. I'll let them answer it themselves. So I might say, Hey, what is love? Um, uh, 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 okay. I'll sit. I'll wait. So that way, when I tell you later, you don't know what it is. You'll be able to, yeah, I, I didn't. But some people, because of their ego, they'll make up something. Well, love is, um, when you honor someone, it's, it's, it's the respect that you have for a person and really being there for them. No matter what, you just made that up. It feels like it, that would kind of be right based on all the BS that society has told you, but you've never looked up the word. You probably don't even know the origins of, of the word love, God, man, or woman or anything like that. You just, Know what we all know <laughs> what what the social ideas are are of them. You ain't saying nothing. Ask for the definition. What does the word mean? You don't know what the word means. Stop using it. And then there's a fear inside. Stop using the word love. What, what, stop using the word God. What, what, what will I be if I stop doing those things? See, because we've become so used to, to vagueness. We've become so used to ambiguity that we can't allow ourselves to pause just for one moment to learn something. Our attention span for truth is just that short. So what do you think we do internally if we do that externally? When a feeling comes up, we won't allow ourselves the patience to welcome clarity. We'll just keep it blurry. We'll keep it vague. And, you know, hope that eventually what we're feeling may come into focus, but it doesn't work that way. You see, we, we, we don't want to explore and let something sit for a second, give it some space so we can have more knowledge about it. So we can make more clear decisions about it. You see, and you think about that when you meet a person who moves in that way, you ask them a question, you can never get a clear answer. I mean, it's a sign of something deeper. I, I did a show before and I spoke about, um, basically the signs of a, of a weaker male, you know, but the secret is when I did that segment, what I didn't really reveal was that I was basically teaching you, um, the science of the Jezebel, of the Jezebel spirit, you know, um, I think I entitled it, um, uh, find it it was something like men checking younger males or something like that i i don't i don't totally remember what i entitled it but it was somewhere around that you know that 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 term or that idea of men checking other males and i was going to follow it up 
with the identification of the narcissistic female. And I just didn't. I'll get around to it. But I remember right when I was going to do it, I said, you know, what? I don't feel like the hassle right now. Because, you know, and I've said it before. I, I don't I'm not scared to say it. Um, we live in a time and in a land where women are are females because real women aren't like this. But adult females are death, deathly afraid of accountability. They will accept zero accountability for anything. And I said, OK. So when I did the male show, everybody got and I saw the feminists come out. They they commented and, oh, chief, this is good. So how do you now now you want to comment? You got something to say. You know, and I remember the ones, some of them and I knew now. <laughs> I remember who they were and I knew that was going to happen. People were jumping in my, well, females, you know, were jumping in my, my inbox and that was a good show. Of course it was because you're programmed to hate men. Of course you think it was a good show, but you don't even realize I was talking about you because a weak male and Today's modern day female are the same thing. They're the same thing. And when I was doing that segment, I was only envisioning the Jezebel spirit, which Jezebel was a female. I just didn't say it, but I could have replaced the word male with female and it all applied. All of it. I'll go over it again one day because like I said, I got to do the other half of it, but I was just like, I was I was more um interested in talking to the males and fixing that because um nowadays you can't really get females to fix that problem. They ignore it when you talk to them and say, "Hey, you know, accountability. I see some toxic femininity in you." They'll pretend like they can't hear you. <laughs> Literally, they'll just look off into the distance. I said, ah, "I don't feel like wasting my time even doing. It. I know they're not going to listen anyway because I know I know that Willie Lynch programming is so deep and strong and they've already married themselves to the parasitic elite males of this world. They're not listening to me, but the males do listen. They will feel convicted and they will do something about it. You know, so that's why I didn't come yet. But that level of indecisiveness, indecisiveness and the lack of clarity of speech is, um, and I just say indecisiveness wrong twice and i say the lack of clarity of speech right <laughs> but um that's what happens after you've been talking straight for 40 minutes with with no water but so that is a sign of someone who has ambiguous and fuzzy feelings inside of them that's an immediate sign you ask a direct question can never get you can never get a yes or no they're constantly hopping from yes or no did this happen and some of you and I knew, you know what I'm speaking about. There's been times where I've had to say, like I've had to stop people mid-sentence. Listen, did or do requires yes or no. You know, and then people, well, you can see the uncomfortability. That's the Jezebel spirit. The Jezebel is always, always rambling off about things that make no sense. You know, so I'm telling you this also. We're talking about self-love. Part of self-love is also understanding who to avoid. And when you're around certain energies and spirits that you need to get away from. As soon as you see that in male or female, get away. You're dealing with a Jezebel. You can never get a clear answer. Nothing is ever their fault. They never take accountability for anything. You know, um, they just seem to be 
perfect people, but the only thing that keeps happening to them is other people. That's a Jezebel. That's a straight up Jezebel. You know, so, um, that is a, is, is a result of someone who has wishy-washy, wishy-washy approaches to what it is that's happening inside of them. They don't have the strength or the wisdom to say, let me sit with them because whatever feeling that I'm feeling is a gift. Thank you. You know, um, you think about it. If you had a body part that you had no feeling in, you know, think about what that, that sensation may be like, you know, even the thought of it. I have no feeling in my lower half, no feeling in my arm, you know, my taste buds don't work. I have no sense of smell. What, what would that really be like? So to have a feeling, an internal feeling, whatever it is, whatever it's pain, hurt, despair, guilt, shame, it's a gift. And when you just like, you know, the children that we have are a gift. So even when you have a feeling such as, as let's say grief or you're mourning something, you start to learn how to make that feeling an ally towards your purpose and development instead of seeing every feeling as an enemy. And I know in today's society, you're taught to do that. Someone says something that you don't like you. I was offended by what you said. So you chose offense. That's what you chose. I didn't give you offense. I can't give you offense. You chose for it to be offense. You know, even if it hurt you, it didn't hurt you. You chose hurt. Now, what you have to do is sit and ask yourself, why did I choose that? Just like when I just spoke about the Jezebel spirit and females today, there are some who listen and probably got annoyed. Here he goes again. Even though I don't talk about it often, but if I just, if I talk about the sickness of female, I can talk about the sickness of men all day. If I talk about the sickness of female twice a year, I lose followers and people say, that's all you talk about. <laughs> now, the segment I did on older men or senior men checking junior men, that might have been a command of the day, but it was a year or two ago. You know, you think about that. And I it was going to be a two part segment. I was going to do one for men and then one addressing females. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going to waste my energy with the female one. I already know it's a waste of time, you know, um, but that was years ago. So just to give you an idea of how few and far between I actually address the modern day feeble minded, um, pseudo feminist female. I don't, I, it's not a part of my conversation that I've outgrown those conversations. I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not one who wastes time or energy. So if I know someone has turned to deaf air and is completely lost in their stupidity and their mission to, um, eradicate <laughs> all sense and maybe even to eradicate family and people. I really not going to address that. I don't have anything to say to that. You know, I'll speak to people who want to build family and want to go further, but certain concepts I don't even address anymore at this point. I've, I've outgrown it. You know, so when I see feminist energy coming or even narcissistic energy, I, I have nothing for it. I my mission is more important than a bunch of idiots plain to say, and I'm using those words purposely because it is idiotic. Some of the thoughts, some of the arguments, 
or idiotic, you know, a great, a great documentary to check out. Um, you know, and, and, and I say it's just a great documentary because it, um, it sort of highlights some of the stupid answers or, or just some of the, um, some of the struggle that a person might have if they're dealing with, um, if they're trying to deal logically or they're trying to deal like, you know, with, with some level of intelligence and approaching and, and attacking modern day Babylonian thought. And you could check out what is a woman, you know, by Matt Walsh, Walsh. In fact, even if you just check out his podcast and his show, it's, it's really good. But the documentary itself, what is a woman? You know, it, it's, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because some of the, the, the conversations that he had, I found myself in some of those dialogues and, and I responded in a similar way. You know, he, he's like, I always tell people I'm the master at playing dumb. And he did that for a large part of the documentary. He asked people who were clearly insane, who were criminal and their thinking and their approaches towards, um, dealing with the sexuality and, and, People and, and mo- more importantly, how they were approaching the sexuality in children. And, um, you know, he, he, he used the play dumb technique until he was ready to reveal, you know, what his actual stance was or is rather. And, um, that's something I use a lot too, because it's just easier when you're talking to someone who is, is clearly sick and demented, you know, and, and they have legislation. And a whole governmental system or, or a societal court of opinion that is sanctioning that demented way of thinking. It's easier just to say, okay, I hear you and do what you have to do, <laughs> have to do, you know? So again, when those feelings come, we're taught someone made me feel uncomfortable. So now I'm going to go to war as opposed to I've chosen to feel uncomfortable. I feel a tightness in my body and my chest. My stomach is bouncing up and down. My, my mouth is dry. Let me approach that with an attitude of gentleness so I can begin to kind of see how that feeling that I'm feeling relates to something that's important inside of me. And in doing that, I'm honoring myself. I'm honoring the, the experience inside of me instead of me being afraid of being wrong. Or me being afraid of, of seeming like I'm foolish. You see, because there are messages inside of, you know, this is the, the book, the compass that I wrote, you know, where I said your, your feelings and your emotions provide a, a compass for your journey. You know, so there is wisdom even inside of the things that I'm feeling. But the only way I can decipher those things is if I give myself space with them. You see, because those feelings are trying to tell me something and they're trying to tell me something in a way that they can express themselves. Just like a, a small child may not have the language to express its, its needs and its requirements. But if you sit long enough with that child, each time there's an outcry of something, you start to learn the different ways that it expresses meaning that the child expresses its own insights and then you'll see different opportunities that will arise for you to, to have a more fulfilling sort of, uh, relationship with, with that child. 
you see. But when you're always looking for a way out, you see, a way out from experiencing a feeling uncomfortable or whatever, that, that, um, escape mission <laughs> becomes its own prison. You see, it becomes its own prison because living and, and dying and, and, and suffering, these are all things that we're going to experience just as, um, someone that's going through the reality of life. You see, and we can understand when we need to act. We can understand when we need to, um, leave maybe some of our security, you know, or some of our safety. And we begin to realize that we can start to penetrate the truths of our life, you know, through this journey, through, through being born in this, this, this journey of, of dying. We can begin to kind of pen- penetrate some of those things. When we're okay with becoming, what am I becoming? You see, and what am I becoming inside? Can I, can I just be, can I sit with what I be for a moment? You know, instead of always being pushed into doing, you see, can I sit with the internal aspects of my discomfort? Understanding that there's internal discomfort. You know, and there's external discomfort. I may feel anxiety. I may feel frustration, um, worry. I may feel suspicion. And these things may happen inside of me, you know, which is primarily mental. And then externally, I may experience violence, um, criminality, um, the idea of being attacked. Uh, disasters that may happen, you know, plagues we're going through right now and food shortages, shortages and, and floods and, and fires and, and wars, you know, all of those different things are related to a quality of suffering, if, if you will. And obviously they're all different kinds of painful experiences, but there are many things on this planet just by being alive that have the potential to cause us a level of dissatisfaction, you know, a, a cool or a cold breeze on your feet can cause dissatisfaction or having to do something laborious that, you know, that's physical can cause dissatisfaction. There's suffering that can be felt in the mind, in your emotions and in, in your physicality, whether it's, you know, Arthritis, <laughs> whether it's just the, 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 the thought, the mentality of I'm getting older, you know, or, or I may get sick in the distress of, of thinking about that. You see, all of these things are possible and they're all present with the passage of time. It makes these things happen and we become, um, conditioned to a sort of thinking of independence. So I got to protect the self. I got to protect the eye. And when you're locked into that, that desire to want to protect the self, the things that begin to arise eventually fall. <laughs> you know, everything is, is temporary that rises up. Everything that is, is ceasing eventually will cease. You see? So if my journey is more internal and my meditation is, is obviously an internal sort of spirit experience, then if it's not 
permanent. Like myself, I am not permanent. My loved ones are not permanent. A beautiful sunrise is not permanent. A beautiful sunset is not permanent. This glorious ocean that I like to go to and look at is not permanent. Whatever those, those things are, um, if they're impermanent, they have the potential to cause dissatisfaction and suffering. Anything that's impermanent. Anything. You see? And we can't control the world in that sense. Even like, no matter how many people sell you on different methods and, and metaphysical processes, it, it, you can't. Okay. And the reason you can't because everything is always changing. Everything is vibrating and anything that's changing has the potential to cause grief because it causes uncertainty. You see, that's where our range of emotions come from. We have children and we're so excited and we're so happy when we have children. Then they get older, they grow. And as they grow, they change. And what do we start doing? Oh, remember when you were a little baby and I would hold, I miss those times when I would hold you in my arms. I miss. I long for them. The craving of that attachment. Or before you got such a smart mouth. <laughs> or you don't like being around me anymore now. You know, you just come in and go straight to your room or, or whatever that thing is because it's changing. That child is changing. So if it's changing, it has the potential to cause different feelings, different, different anxieties, different fears. You see, even the concept of some of our elders, we know that some of our loved ones will die soon. And that causes a certain anxiety due to maybe a medical condition they may have because they are changing. Birth itself is a, is, is something that creates pain. It's something that we create that creates fear because when we were born, we become trapped inside of a body and we can't escape the physicality of the body. We, we, we can't, we may take drugs and things like that, but it really is no real es- es- escape. And we start off into the world birth as something that's helpless and defenseless and very vulnerable. Call that a baby, a baby, right? And then as we get older and we begin to age, um, our abilities to do certain things begin to decline. You see, so there's so many different ways that we can, we have these internal experiences, whether it's illness or aging or death or separation from those we care about or, um, not getting what we want, you know, or just, um, having people that we have to interact with that we would rather not interact with, whether we work with them or whatever. Right. And our ability to love ourselves begins with our ability to sit with the feelings that all those different things create and approach them and greet them. Say peace. You know, I'm feeling pain, peace, pain. I'm going to sit down here next, next to you, if you don't mind. And I'm going to watch you spin and unfold. And I'm going to understand what you're saying to me. I'm going to unravel it and I'm going to go to the depths of it so I can figure out the source. 
So even if someone else cites it in me and says, you know, you look like you full of pain, not full of it, but yeah, this it's there. I'm working through it. And it's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong to say, yeah, I'm sad today. Or I've been sad for, for a couple of years now and I'm, I'm, I'm working through it and I'm learning more about it and it's, it's going away, but it's just an emotion. Everybody gets sad sometimes. Everybody feels pain sometimes. Some of the things I just cited show, you know, it's a universal thing. You're born this pain. You die this pain. You're dying this pain. You're getting older this pain. So that's the dukkha. There's, there's always suffering. But how do I sit with that feeling and that emotion determines my quality and frequency and value of self-love. Not just me putting on some new cologne, <laughs> you know, and uh getting the shape up. You know, and, and putting on some nice shoes and going for a walk. That's cool, but it's, it's a temporary nurturing. To truly self-love, we have to go to the depths of where our feelings sit and sit with them. That's self-love. And if you learn to do that, then you can learn to love yourself and you can learn to, um, experience nirvana eventually. The detachment from those feelings like, yeah, I, you're there and I'm here. I'm going to sit next to you, but we're not the same thing. As opposed to I'm sad. I'm not sad. I'm feeling sad. You see, if my, if my son comes and stands next to me, I'm not my son, but I feel his presence. I feel my son here, but I'm not him. You see, and he's temporary as I am temporary, as my feelings are. All right. So that has been our segment. I want to thank you all for listening and tuning in. All right. This has been Chief Yuya. Have a beautiful and peaceful uh, day. Thank you for listening. I just want to remind you all that you can now send questions for the up and coming season of the Chief Yuya podcast to questions at chiefyuya.com. That's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S at chiefyuya.com. C-H-I-E-F-Y-U-Y-A.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute in any way to our Red Rap Initiative for Displaced Women, head over to anulifeglobal.org forward slash Red Rap. That's A-N-U-L-I-F-E-G-L-O-B-A-L dot O-R-G forward slash R-E-D-W-R-A-P. If you'd like to join my ministry, Anu Life Global, go to anulifeglobal.org. A-N-U-L-I-F-E-G-L-O-B-A-L dot O-R-G and click the join link. You may get sponsored by me or one of our other uh, members. If you find that these podcasts have helped you in any way, please leave a review on iTunes. If my books have helped you in any way, please leave a review on Amazon. These podcasts, along with my, my music, can be found on all of the streaming platforms. Thank you, and keep putting the work in.